Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast that delivers cutting-edge food as medicine solutions for optimal health. Allie Miller is a nutrition expert sought up by the media and America's top medical institutes for her revolutionary functional medicine interventions. From disease treatment to prevention, every episode will empower you with ways to put yourself back in control of your health. Please note, the topics discussed are for educational purposes only. Now welcome, Integrative Dietitians Allie Miller and her co-host Becky Yu. Welcome to episode 146 of the Naturally Nourished podcast. Today I will be talking all about keto or the ketogenic diet as a hormetic stressor, digging deep into the mechanisms of action on the HPA axis, and really specifically delving into leptin and its role on helping to support our body in a parasympathetic, rest, digest, reproduce, metabolize, mellow out, or how leptin levels can throw our HPA axis into that sympathetic fight or flight state as well. And as if that wasn't enough to cover in today's episode, I will also be doing a KetoCon wrap-up because we do pre-record some of these. So this is the first opportunity that Becky and I have had to sit together and download all of the fun that we had this go around and relationships and laughter and shock and awe. And we definitely want to share all of that with you listeners. Yes. So even though this will air a month out from KetoCon, everyone is still going to be buzzing about it. Don't you worry. And we'll be preparing for next year. Um, So let's give a quick, just kind of highlight real recap of the weekend. It was such a, a blur of just awesome, fun times and connections, and it really flew by. But what were your big highlights, Allie? Well, the first thing for sure that was amazing and like still, you know how there's some phrase that's like, you never know you're there until until you wake up and you're already there or whatnot. Um, or you don't know the opportunities the that exist door. until you're living them. <laughs> like, what? what about the door opening, do- walking through doors that I don't yeah. remember. <laughs> Dr. Will Cole had one that like really resonated with me. Yeah. It was one of those like, you know, just Instagram, you know, quotable reshares. And yes, it was like you, you're knocking at the door of opportunity to open until you realize you've already walked through it. It was kind of one of those like do 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 time warp things. And I was telling clients that the first keto con that I did, I was doing the Naturally Nourished podcast, but I had just come off of hiatus uh, postpartum, you know, uh, with the podcast. And uh, there were maybe just under a thousand people at the first keto con. And I would say that maybe. Five to ten percent of the attendees knew who I was, uh, and then you know at that first event, I met Leanne Vogel. I met a couple other you know big names. I had already met virtually Jimmy Moore and Brian Williamson, but now I got to you know meet them in person, of course, and that was a huge catapult after my keynote at that event, which really grew the brand and the momentum, and probably put me in front of a lot of your faces. Last year's KetoCon, there were, I think, like 1,500 attendees or maybe just under 2,000, and uh, maybe 50% of the attendees knew who I was. 
So big shift again in total volume and exposure. And then this year was bananas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I, it was about 3000 participants, I believe. And I would say 85% of the people knew me. It was, it was funny. I was dying because I was like in this alternate universe where I'd be literally like washing my hands and, you know, someone standing next to me would give me that smile of familiarity or people were stopping me as I was just kind of walking through the halls, which I so loved all of the selfies and hugs and uh, just recognition for all of the hustle and the content that I put out there. And it means so much to me to hear from you guys that I'm impacting your life or, you know, playing a positive role in your wellness journey. And it was just like the biggest love fest of buzz of amazingness. And, um, Stella was asked to cameo in a couple photos and that was just like one hilarious, smile, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, a couple, a couple. She did a really funny booty dance by Peak Yogurt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You like it. You like it. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, we, I, it was just a total blast and such good energy and vibes and I can't wait for the next event. And I'm so grateful for the growth and that people are listening to my message. So that means that I only have to keep talking louder and with more game-changing info. So let's bring it on. Yes. (laughs) So we had a really fun event on Thursday night that was a collaboration with CrowdCow, um, kind of a pre-party welcome to Austin that we hosted and, and invited a whole bunch of, um, keto influencers, I guess we would call them or, you know, speakers and, and people in the the keto space. And it was really cool to meet so many people in person that we've had on the podcast or connected with on social media and actually be able to like give hugs and see them in 3d. Yes. So got to rekindle with Danny and Mara Vega, who I met in all three years as well, but we've had a relationship that's really uh, they've been such awesome advocates of me after last year's KetoCon, sharing and reposting and really supporting my brand growth and my my food as medicine, whole food, single ingredient mission. And uh, Danny's been so fun to really work with on the whole expansion of carnivore with nose to tail and how he's really moving this consciousness within the carnivore community, which I think is just awesome. So we have a huge kindred. It was like seeing a brother and Maura too. I just think she's awesome and love her personality. Both her and I get really fiery (laughs) on kids' nutrition and and all things ridiculous in that world. So it was super cool to see them and uh, got to see Ryan Lowry, Dr. Ryan Lowry. I've been on his podcast and have met him last year, but get to hang out with him and uh, Josh Perry. I met him for the first time, uh, who was professional BMX um, rider. Who else? Uh, Rachel Gregory from Killing It Keto. Uh, Christina Kirp from Castaway Kitchen was there. Um, Kendra and John. Um, so Kendra from Peace, Love, and Low Carb. And I had the honor of writing a, a testimonial or a review on the back of her new book, uh, Dairy Free Keto. Um, and what else, Becky? Who else? Vanessa was there. Ketogenic yep, girl. Ketogenic Vanessa girl. Vanessa um, mm-hmm. Hannah, diabetes expert. I see. I only know yes. their Instagram yes. handles, which is so funny. That's okay. That's okay. 
but yep, all, all really great. And I'm sure I'm missing some of you and it, it was just awesome. Oh, oh, um, Keto Savage by, by Instagram named Robert yeah, Sykes. Yeah, yeah, and he and yeah, I yeah, were on a panel. Yeah. Him and Crystal Love were there, uh, of course. So sweet. Freshly married, <laughs> holding hands a lot. And um, just so sweet uh, to see them. And they had a booth with Keto Brick. Um, and yeah, it was just an awesome evening on Thursday night. I featured recipes from the anti-anxiety diet cookbook to share with all my new friends. And, um, yeah, I mean, I kind of want to go through the whole list. Sean Wells was there. Um, it, it was just really awesome. Uh, Vinny Tortorich was there and yeah, it was super great. You can go back in my Instagram feed, see all the friends and faces. And I was just so honored and grateful that first off, I matter enough for people in their busy schedules of all of these brands asking them to attend their parties that they came to my event and that I was able to feed friends essentially. That's the best part. You know, we always say, uh, show the people love, show the people in your family love with making them good food. And I got to share three recipes from the anti-anxiety diet cookbook, the lemon lavender CBD balls. I made the, uh, cumin lime pepita summer salad. I made the uh, cauliflower dish with roasted cauliflower and pine nuts and added in some lacinato kale. We had uh, organ in incorporated in the starters. We did kidney meatballs. We did a chicken liver pate with a vegetable crudite. Uh, then there was a brisket uh, and we ended off with lollipops of a5 wagyu uh, oh my gosh so good <laughs> and danny's oh, meat forget. orgasm face yeah. was amazing, amazing. we mm -hmm. also had a bone broth bar so really incorporated a lot of the foodist medicine elements and got rave reviews on you know organs and pate and stuff that not everybody is comfortable or familiar with eating but in this crowd it was very well accepted. Welcome. <laughs> yes. Yes. So a total food is medicine experience and foodie delivery of that to say the least and a great just energy reset to, to kick off an awesome successful weekend for everyone. And then on uh, Friday, I, I had uh, two panels I was in. We can get into those in a moment. And I did a meetup at Loro, which is an Asian inspired barbecue joint. So got to meet with some clients in 3D and give hugs as well as podcast listeners. So shout out to all of you that attended that event as well. It was super fun. And we had the whole family there, minus Stella, but uh, Brady and Byron and Becky and I just kind of chilling and eating lunch between my two panels on Friday. And that was a blast too. Yes. So, so fun. Um, let's talk about the highlights of your lectures and panels. So you did that first panel on Friday on sustainability with CrowdCow and Robert was on there as well as Vinny and Catherine from CrowdCow. So what did you guys talk about? What were the big kind of aha moments and, and what were people asking about? So, you know, we started it as what we call the fireside chat where Catherine kind of curated questions. And it was, it was funny because she was calling on it. Like, you know, usually panels, like they'll ask a question, you kind of like gesture if you have the answer and you pull the microphone. Well, she was calling on us. So I was really proud of my buddy, Robert, because she asked him a question on, um, like, sustainability within the meat industry and XYZ. And I wasn't sure 
you know, how he'd answered that. I was like, oh, you didn't ask him about using meat for muscle gains, <laughs> you know, or like something relevant to, you know, getting ripped and being a machine because that's like what he's known for, you know. Um, and his podcast is super cool too. And he had just interviewed someone on soil depletion and he had a really wonderful answer. And, you know, Robert is a hunter. So I think he's really had ingrained with his upbringing a respect for animal and use of the snout to tail approach. And his answer was fantastic where, you know, he answered on the fact of ruminants really playing an integral role in maintaining soil viability. And that became a huge part of the conversation. I joined in uh, after he answered on that as well. And, you know, how continuing to support these meat-like substances of these uh, veggie burger products, whatever you want to name them and come out with as the the new best thing, really comprised of industrialized crops that are not sustainably uh, farmed that are only further depleting our topsoil. So we're talking about when we're saying that that all plant matter requires soil and its microbe, microbe diversity as well as nutrient diversity to create robust root systems. And when we farm with chemical fertilizers, as well as chemical uh, toxins as pesticides and herbicides and fungicides, we are literally sterilized. It's just like the gut, right? The, the soil is the gut of our body when we're talking about the anatomy of the garden, if you will. And so the more that we sterilize that soil and kill off the living diversity within it, we're creating less nutrient-dense crops. And eventually we're creating an anchor to hold a root system that will not hold up a plant and we will all starve. <laughs> so that's kind of a big deal. Um, so we were talking about you know the synergy of consumption of animal product to actually maintain viability with agriculture as well, not just in the meat industry. Yes. And I was so glad to see that theme kind of carry over throughout the weekend on the panels that I got to pop into and lectures that I kind of overheard from the expo floor and um, just more awareness and discussion of sustainability and, and our role, you know, within that. I think that was huge. Right. And, you know, in that panel, I, <laughs> I stood up at one point and was like, my name is Allie and I'm a recovering vegan yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> kind of shared that uh, experience of how you do vote with your dollar and you can vote for humane slaughter. And we're learning now as we're learning that meat can be medicine in this food is medicine scope that, you know, there are less anti-nutrients, there are more bioactive compounds, and there are unique nutrients that we're maybe just figuring out how to identify. Um, like for instance, the endocannabinoids or the um, cannabinoid compounds that are in red meat, right? Um, and, and so how these certain compounds help to support whole body health and how plant matter can't provide that on its own and how the transparency of buying at your farmer's market or small scale farming operations or purchasing through a company like CrowdCow that does the work for you to provide that relationship is going to be the best way to make this a sustainable environmental shift as well as the most nutrient dense support as well as the most humane and and that that's really where we need to to turn the conversation. Amandamide is the compound that yes. I'm referring to. Yeah. <laughs> um and so yeah it's a, it's a cannabinoid compound that comes from eating red meat which is why we all feel so happy digging our teeth into ribeye. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> oh my gosh. Um, and speaking of ribeye, we, um, one of my favorite highlights of, of things that I watched was, um, the medical panel where you were seated next to Dr. Ken Berry, who will be on next episode 147 of the podcast as a guest. But I really enjoyed that panel just as um, a viewer, just seeing the diversity of experience of the medical professionals that were up there um, and the diversity of opinions that were, um, you know, very respectfully, I think, presented. Everyone did a really good job of kind of keeping their eyes on their own plate. And, you know, there were different views presented for sure, but I thought it was a really cool um, showing of just diversity of experience as doctors. And I think you were the the only non-doctor up there, right? <laughs> I was. Yes. Yes. So th- there was, uh, and I think the only other dietitian that presented was Sean Wells. Uh, he had a keynote as well. Uh, but right on the medical panel, I was the only RD. And a lot of the theme came back, I, I thought, um, and maybe it's just because, again, I talk about this all the time, my my scope all comes back to HPA access, right? But I think a lot of the questions from uh, people were about, you know, how much is too much? Uh, how much to restrict the diet as far as time-restricted eating? Uh, how little of carbs should we drop to? Do we need plant fibers? Uh, you know, what's the role of the microbiome? What's the role of antioxidants? And uh, I, I really enjoyed the opportunity of sharing my perspective on all of those things, including, you know, this impact of the ketogenic diet being a hormetic stressor and us really understanding what this impact of allostatic load is. And I took that on as a priority in my Sunday lecture as well, which uh, unpacked the influence of keto on the thyroid, the adrenals, and sexual hormone balance. And that's some of the highlights that we'll be talking about today. Yes. You had some serious zingers on that panel, like, as a woman with ovaries. Yes. Well, Dr. Berry, uh, yeah. a woman <laughs> yeah, a woman asked about adrenal fatigue, and, and he kind of dismissed it. And to be fair, I mean, it's not something that's really covered in a, a conventional medical model. And it's really a functional medicine approach. And, uh, you know, the woman asking it, I, I believed from the way she asked it, wasn't just, uh, didn't just do a, a quiz in Self Magazine <laughs> to diagnose herself with adrenal fatigue. I, I, you know, had a perception that she probably had done a four-point cortisol assessment, knew where her DHEA status was. So I just wanted to validate where she was coming from and the fact that adrenal insufficiency is very real. And so much is so that... Again, I find adrenal insufficiency or the uh, imbalance of the adrenal gland demand as being a primary Achilles heel in our wellness. And this is why I'm also launching a new program called Adrenal Rehab this fall, which will release, hence my squeaky no voice. (laughs) Um, I will be releasing that on the heels of the Anti-Anxiety Diet Cookbook. So as I'm going around for book tour, uh, I'll be launching that Adrenal Rehab Program, which will really encompass all of the lifestyle and diet elements of the A of the HPA access. Yes. And I think we'll be doing a little bit of a tease in today's episode, just into a tiny, tiny fraction of that content as we get into keto as a hormetic stressor for sure. Uh, But before we do that, let's talk about some of the trends that we saw on the expo floor. It's always such a fun highlight walking around and finding new companies and connecting with 
their founders and connecting with the companies that we love, like F-Bomb. But what did we taste that we loved? Yes. So so product-wise, I was super excited to see also a a come to awareness of this kind of snout to tail philosophy. Um, You know, for instance, like Epic brand had their liver bites that they've relaunched because for a while I couldn't find their beef liver bites. Mm -hmm. We have them on our Amazon store um, and they've been rocking with the pork rinds and that's the primary brand that I go for. That was one of my answers actually on the medical panel was, you know, what's your keto indulgence? And I was like, uh, (laughs) pork rinds with uh, salmon roe caviar. And uh, that's a high level indulgence and one scale or maybe five scales down is pork rinds with guacamole. And then, you know, the other thing would be dark chocolate with nut butter on it and a glass of red wine. Um, All of those are awesome indulgences that are free of non-caloric sweeteners. So that was another kind of buzz that was also discussed. And I was excited to hear on the medical panel pretty much you ne- did, wouldn't you say everyone on the board agreed that non-caloric sweeteners should be more of a gateway versus a sustainable approach, yeah, um, only used sure. as needed? And maybe I was the only staunch one that said, just don't even yep. enter like, them into your I world. I don't have them in my home. So <laughs> ever, never, ever. Um, so, you know, I think we're all starting to change the tides there where there were still non-caloric sweetener products there, like the ice creams and the cookies and whatnot. But we're starting to see more awareness. And I think as people like myself continue to speak out against them, that that's going to be that support of the industry voting with their dollar and companies continuing to remove them and stick with more savory focused products. So uh, within that savory world, uh, Fond Bone Broth, super excited to see them. They're a, a bone broth company from San Antonio that have, I I would call them elixirs. Like it's beyond bone broth, don't you think? Oh, they're incredible. I think I tried the chicken with turmeric one and you had the spicy beef, I believe. I don't know what they're Uh, called. They have like amazing You did the youth tonic. Okay, youth tonic. So there's something with the word lightning in it, and I forget. Um, But the youth tonic has the shiitake mushrooms. And yes, I'm not going to speak intelligently because I didn't Google you guys in advance. I'm sorry. But just check out Fond. They're amazing. You can order online. And the flavor profiles and the therapeutic combinations of ingredients are beyond. Like it's literally what I would do in my own household. So I was super stoked to see them. And then bigger scale bonafide provisions was there. So, um, you know, they're a great base as far as sippable bone broth and they had their keto broth mugs. Uh, we also, uh, I got to try rep provisions, which is a really cool company. They had actually reached out to me a month or so prior, and they make a meat stick and nut butter kind of joint pack that's over 500 calories. So it's a very dense calorie delivery meal replacement, if you will, that's very keto focused and very single ingredient focused. They use a little bit of maple in their nut butter. And you guys know how I feel about that as a positive. You know, if you're going to sweeten it, use something that provides calories, provides nutrient support, and is not disruptive to the microbiome um, or, you know, our metabolic signals of our body. So they, they were pretty cool. And what's really cool about REP is that they are very invested in soil regeneration. So it was kind of full circle within that concept of that first panel that I was on. And then it was really fun to see keto farms and meet those guys in 3D. They had sponsored an episode of the podcast and Stella loves her keto farms crunchies. And then like you said, yeah, Ross and Kara from F-Bomb seeing, uh, is it Evan and Mimi? Is it Mimi from Peak Yogurt? Yep. 
Yep. Um, Peterson's was there again. So just really great people and love kind of getting on this family relationship with them. So all of those brands, big shout outs, much love. And um, we like what you guys are doing and uh, we'd love to continue to see more. Awesome. So before we jump into today's episode content, let's have a quick word from our sponsor for this episode, Further Food. Yes. Further Food produces products, collagen and gelatin, as well as health tonics, their turmeric tonic and mindful matcha. And all of their products are done with the highest quality as food as medicine supplements. Their Animal-derived products are pasture-raised, wild-caught, non-GMO, hormone-free, and antibiotic-free, and they provide a potent form of therapeutic compounds. So collagen is going to be fantastic support for your connective tissue in your body. That's speaking to your hair, skin, and nails. And when I say hair, skin, and nails, I mean down to the level of there's been double-blind placebo Research studies that have shown that collagen at 5 to 10 grams a day can reduce cellulite and actually support collagen firming of the skin. And so we can get appearance support all the way into our gut integrity. We've seen uh, research studies on collagen aiding with pressure ulcers in the elderly population. So wound recovery and repair, as well as supporting with gut integrity on uh, ailments like leaky gut, food sensitivity, Crohn's, ulcerative colitis, and inflammatory bowel disease. Yes. And I absolutely love that they've recently changed their um, their containers to all post-consumer recycled products. So really hitting that eco-friendly sustainability piece of the puzzle that is so, so important when you are voting for, with your dollar and choosing products that you're going to consume on you know a, a regular basis by probably by the case um, in most households if we're trying to get um, a real good quality dosage of you know eight to ten grams of collagen or two scoops a day um, and I love that they have their travel packs coming out now for beyond just the collagen they also have their turmeric tonic and mindful matcha in the travel sticks that are so convenient especially with summer travel and the fact that I'm probably not going to be walking around sipping a mug of bone broth, unless it's fond, um, <laughs> in my day-to-day in the summertime. Yes. And I have in my household fully transitioned to using only their collagen and gelatin because when I look at other competitors in the market, I think that further food is the most affordable and accessible and that they have really high integrity. So beyond, like you said, the eco-consciousness, Becky, we've also seen a lot of transparency on sourcing, which other larger brands can't really speak to. They're also a women-owned company, which gets my vote with my dollar and you know, just kind of a smaller scale intimate brand that is really supported on the food as medicine movement versus just kind of using collagen as a beautifying food. Uh, So I think that empowerment with education is super important. They do things like sugar detox. They have a blog that features recipes of mine. And if you aren't sold on what to do with collagen and gelatin, like Becky said, they now have individual packs. So you can add collagen into any liquid like 
literally water all the way through coffee, tea, hot or cold, smoothie, shake, anything. And then gelatin can be used to make like panna cotta or puddings. I use them in my low carb chocolate chip cookies in the anti-anxiety diet cookbook for a really awesome mouthfeel. And gelatin can also be used to you to make gummies and other therapeutics. You can always search the ingredient collagen or gelatin on our blog at AllieMillerRD.com and find a great delivery of how to get in this therapeutic nutrient with other ingredients and recipes that are going to taste amazing. So go on over to furtherfood.com and use the code AllieMillerRD at checkout. That's going to save 10% off your order. Yes. And if you want to learn more about those benefits of collagen that Allie just mentioned, you can head on over to episode 144 of the podcast where we did a deeper dive on some of the research that's out there on collagen. And we also interviewed Ashley from Further Food and got a little bit more of the brand story and her personal story within the brand. Yes. It was so funny because Becky and I both literally after that episode, I mean, we always teach ourselves things in the podcast (laughs) because we have to delve to the most up-to-date research and, you know, really comb through things with a fine tooth comb. And, uh, both of us were like, oh my gosh, somehow, somewhere I fell off my daily ritual of collagen. Like we were still using it weekly and, and multiple times throughout the week. But both of us were like, I think I was down to maybe four times a week because I was focusing on sometimes doing more of a fat fast and just using coconut oil and grass fed butter in my coffee and skipping that collagen because I was concerned about the protein interfering with mTOR. But after hearing all of that compelling information and also digging deep for an upcoming episode I have coming out about fasting and mTOR, I was like, "Uh uh-uh, honey, bring that collagen back in my coffee. I'm 100% confident that that's going to work more favorably for me versus messing with my hustle of a pure fat fast. So that was a big aha transition that I've made. Um, So again, check out furtherfood.com, use code AllieMillerRD and um, really experience within yourself the noticeable changes that you see in your connective tissue and your gut by using the products. Yes. I put the collagen out for Byron to use in the coffee that he makes me every day. So hopefully it's getting in there. I never actually see him make it because it comes, you know, magically to the bedroom while I'm still sleeping. (laughs) That's how you know you picked a good one. Yep. Yep. All right. Um, So let's get into the content of today's episode. And let's start off with the positives of how keto impacts our hormones and HPA access. Yes. So, and I'll actually be putting out an article on ketosis and fertility and, and digging even deeper. But the important thing to acknowledge is that the process of going into nutritional ketosis or producing ketones is going to be anti-inflammatory in its nature. So, you know, using ketones as fuel as opposed to exclusively using glucose as fuel is going to create less oxidative stress in the body. So you're going to get a reduction of, you know, the oxidative stressors or reactive oxygen species, those pro oxidizing inflammatory compounds, and you're going to see that systemically. So, you know, throughout the body, we should see a reduction in C-reactive protein, and that's where we see a huge impact on cognitive function and really the support of neurogenesis or the production of neurons in the brain because there's less inflammation in that cavity. So that's bar none going to support hormones because hormones work with a lock and key mechanism, and we know that inflammation is one of the interference one main thing that interferes with hormone communication, right? So reduced inflammation. 
the other element would be on a hormone domino effect. So we know that the ketogenic diet is going to reduce excess insulin. And we know that a lot of hormone imbalanced conditions is associated with insulin resistance or elevated insulin levels, right? So, you know, insulin itself is a pro-inflammatory hormone and insulin itself is an anabolic building hormone, which tells the body to increase its fat storage. So anytime there is an excess of energy perceived by the body, if it also has an excess of insulin, we're going to see an increased rate of body fat storage. So bringing down the insulin levels is going to have a favorable influence on our hormones because we get more insulin sensitivity, which means less excess insulin that's circulating in the body, which means less fat storage. And we need to be mindful that our fat cells themselves, our adipocytes or adipose tissue, it's a fancy word for fat on the body, your adipocytes themselves have estrogenic properties. So when you reduce the circulating insulin, you reduce the increased body fat storage, and you're actually going to, once insulin levels drop low enough, be able to access that fat as fuel, right? So you're able to metabolically use that estrogenic tissue, which means that you're able to likely detox or at least start to release or circulate that excess hormone and then get that enhanced hormone signaling throughout the body. Also in the diet, we know that if you're eating fat as your highest macro, generally speaking, fat is required to build hormones. So when we're going through menopause or we're dealing with known adrenal fatigue or hypothyroidism, you know, all of these are hormones. It doesn't just have to be a sex hormone. So our thyroid hormone, our cortisol, whatever type of hormone we're talking about, if we know any hormone is low, it's going to require that pregnenolone, right? That grand mama or grandpapa builder block, which requires fat as fuel to produce. So a high fat diet really is the best way to support hormone rebound in the body. And then one more hormetic impact is that the ketogenic diet, oh, I have two more actually. Okay. <laughs> one more is that the ketogenic diet metabolizes DHEA in its production of ketones, right? So to make that seven um, keto DHEA, uh, we're actually metabolizing DHEA made by the adrenals as a uh, conversion factor in the production of ketones. So that's where the ketogenic diet is the number one effective diet therapy for PCOS or infertility in a female that has excess DHEA, right? That's the best way to pull that down by really stripping carbs super low and metabolizing that in the production of ketones. And then the last thing is the role of leptin, which we'll really get into with today's topic. Leptin, which we get enhanced signaling with the ketogenic diet, docks primarily to the hypothalamus. So we're getting that dynamic impact on this HPA axis right away with the H when you go into a ketogenic diet, as well as on a pituitary level, we get a significant impact when you're doing the ketogenic diet, favorable expression of our FSH, our follicular stimulating hormone, and our luteinizing hormone. Okay. So, so those are just some of the positives. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a lot of um, potential positive hormonal impact, but there can be at the same time some pitfalls and, and keto really can impact our overall stress load, especially for certain individuals that are already stressed. Um, so let's get into that a little bit, what the common pitfalls can be. Yeah. So I think it's important that we have to acknowledge that the ketogenic diet itself 
is a hormetic stressor. And I think identifying what that concept is, is best to unpack when you're thinking about like weightlifting and exercise. So hormetic stressors can influence your allostatic load, which is essentially the cumulative impact of your daily stressors, both physiological and mental, on your body's hormone and regulatory function, aka HPA axis, right? So the allostatic load is the impact of what you take on stress, both mental and physically, and how that influences the hormone feedback of your body. Does your body respond with a sympathetic fight or flight ah, freak out? Or does your body have resilience to maintain parasympathetic in that regulatory balance? So the ketogenic diet itself, because it directly influences the hypothalamus, right, with the leptin response and the pituitary directly and the adrenals with that DHEA impact, it does influence that hormetic feedback of the HPA axis. And if you're layering on other stressors, let's say that you're chronically mentally stressed based on your job or emotionally stressed based on a relationship or you're undersleeping because you have a newborn or you're overstressed physiologically because you're breastfeeding a newborn, right? Or you're underfueling because you're doing time-restricted eating like intermittent fasting or you're following a calorie-restricted diet either intentionally by, you know, under eating and, and over tracking or just because you've lost your appetite and you're too stressed to worry about stopping to eat. <laughs> Either way, all of these things in conjunction can start to tax the body. So when you think of again, like exercise as a clear cut example, lifting a weight, um, you know, for a 20 minute segment is going to tear the muscle fibers, create that repair and bulking, which is going to create, you know, muscle gains over time from the use and that hormetic response of repair, which is going to create resilience and growth in that muscle tissue. But if you were having to hold something away from, let's say, you know, injuring your child, like you're pushing something back, like a door from falling, let's say on, on yourself or your kid or whatnot, and you had to hold that weight up for over an hour, over two hours, over 24 hours, you're going to get such severe atrophy and breakdown within the musculature without time to repair that that allostatic load is going to work unfavorably, right? You've just depleted or crashed that muscle versus strengthened it. And you can think of the same thing with like sitting in a sauna, right? That's why we restrict ourselves to certain periods of time. Sitting in an infrared sauna, good living in an infrared sauna and not giving yourself that circulatory shift, right? Back to, you know, vasoconstriction and cold and, and hypothalamic regulation of body temperature going to stress out the body. Um, so with everything, there's this threshold of when you might be over-restricting with intention of health, and that may work unfavorably for you. So I'm really getting in, very passionate about this process as I'm seeing the ketogenic community thrive and grow and expand. We need to all be mindful of how does carb restriction impact our hormones and what other stressors are we taking on and what considerations do we have to take if we want to create balanced allostasis? Sure. So it's this idea if some is good, that doesn't necessarily mean that more is better or higher ketone levels are better or more sauna time or more fasting time is a better thing. Um, so right. And I mean, yeah, yeah, I, I, I absolutely, I don't know about you, Becky, but when I'm testing my ketones, if I'm going over 
four, I feel super wiry, like like Jesse Spano and Say by the Bell. Like I'm a maniac, you know. Like I could, I mean, you don't want to be around me. Um, you definitely don't want to be associated with me in any work environment because I will probably be like, you're gonna do this and this and this and this. <laughs> Life is awesome. Um, and so again, yeah, anything going too high, and that's individualized. But for me, that's when I know, like, okay, I, I call it bone hunger, and my body starts to give me signals that it's like too cognitive, too uh, rapid fire, too high, where I need to kind of ground and bring it bring it back, get my feet on the ground and practice some diet strategy that's going to reset my leptin. And we'll get into that later today. Yep. Usually I get into a really weird project like organizing my pantry or closet that's not productive when my ketones are too high. So, you know... <laughs> If you need to clean yes. your closet, you can try that. <laughs> uh, but let's let's group these stressors together a little bit and just identify kind of where some areas of access can occur and also maybe talk a little bit about things that can balance them out. Yes. So actually, we in the Adrenal Rehab course that will be coming out in the fall, a really cool handout that we're right now in the mix of developing so I can't speak to it fully because it's just been conceptualized. But what I'm doing in that is breaking down um, stressors as systemic, which would include things like chronic inflammation. Um, systemic stressor would be a known state of leaky gut or you know food sensitivity or inflammatory response to foods and chemicals. A systemic stressor could be dysbiosis or bacterial overgrowth. A systemic stressor could be toxicity right? Like, um, you know, heavy metal toxicity or mold toxicity. So all of those stressors, of course, are not going to be something that you would choose. These are a condition that you're kind of starting with or based on exposure or based on, you know, just your entry point with your health process. Then there's health-focused stressors, which are going to include things like fasting, um, whether again, it's time-restricted or calorie-restricted, sauna, high intensity interval training. So different forms of exercise would be stressors on the body. And then uh, the third category would be, and keto would be in that health focused world, right? And then the third category would be mental or emotional stressors. So these are like cognitive demands, uh, interpersonal relationships, uh, self-actualization or disconnect from purpose. That's more of the kind of getting deeper into the complex emotional patterns, but systemic or kind of body internal, health-focused chosen stressors, and then mental-emotional are the three categories that I see. And what I'm trying to do in this handout or in this awareness education is how you you circle those that you're currently participating in or plagued with, with, with better or worse use of the term. And um, then I'm providing you with tools on elements that you can use to balance these out and also which ones can you cross out or eliminate. So can you layer in things like lifestyle, things like meditation or mantra or some of the mental emotional exercises that I provide you with in the course? Uh, can you layer in supplement support like adaptogens, nervines, uh, B vitamins, L-carnitine to support the body fat shuttling? Can you layer in diet strategy like um, focus on bone broth or carb cycling? Um, can you layer in other lifestyle elements like ensuring you're getting eight hours of quality sleep or shifting your exercise to a more parasympathetic? approach or lifestyle shift of not fasting or consuming ample calories. So there's always something you can often with these stressors layer on 
maybe for the dysbiosis, you do my six-week beat the bloat program, and that's your priority. And during that time, you choose to ensure you're getting your quality sleep and take on less stressors in the office because you know your body is going to be provoked with a battle environment, and that's going to resolve that systemic stressor at the end of the tunnel, but in that process of the cleanse might exacerbate. Yep. So whenever we're taking something on, we got to take something else off, right? Is is kind of the the concept of this. Um, so yeah, I came up with this term um, in the where did I say that? I think I said this in my main lecture, just off the cuff, but I like it. I'm going to keep it. It's like reorganizing your closet, right? So it's like <laughs> when you're choosing your stressors, if you're taking a choice of a new tool that you're going to layer onto your wellness journey, you have to pull something out of the closet before you can purchase something else. And so you you kind of have to think of this balance within the body as well. It's very timely because we just reorganized your closet the other day (laughs) or started the process. Now there's lots of room for abundance. (laughs) Yes. I need my book to our wardrobe. Uh Oh my gosh. Okay. So this is really where leptin and carb cycling comes into the conversation as a priority with your approach to keto. So I know we've covered this topic prior in episode 75, all about carb cycling, and then 121 on keto and women's hormones. And you just put out an article as a new contributor to Mind Body Green. So I want to read a little excerpt from this article to kind of kick off this conversation on leptin. Leptin can be seen in excess in obese and overweight individuals, and at high levels, leptin signals become resistant, which can trigger overeating. The ketogenic diet, which includes dietary consumption of fats and supports the mobilization of body fat and the production of ketones, will naturally reduce leptin levels, aiding in optimal leptin signaling in overweight individuals who were previously in a state of leptin resistance, which can help to curb hunger. However, individuals who are at a low percent body fat, who are overstressing the body with mental demands, calorie restriction, intermittent fasting, or too much exercise are ramping up their allostatic load and setting themselves up for declining leptin levels, which over time can drive anxiety, insomnia, and hunger. Yes. So you know, what that kind of unpacks in a conversational non-red, because sometimes it's hard to resonate with those things. Well, first off, I just want to say, not to toot my own horn, but being a contributor for Mind Body Green was another one of those, like I walked through the doorway before it was, you know, whatever, because I remember (laughs) five years ago, like filling out those forms of like, I would like to write an article or I'd like to be interviewed. And then uh, four years ago when I was on, I I lectured at a big event and I met an editor for at that time, where was I doing all of those pieces, Becky? You helped me upload those articles. Mm -hmm. There were a lot in Women's Health. It wasn't Women's Health Magazine and she was also an editor somewhere else. I can't remember, but they're all in my archives and my press. Well, anyway, um, she started writing for Mind Body Green. And after interviewing me the eighth time for there (laughs) and me being her primary interviewee was like, okay, I'm just going to give you a column and you can become a contributor. So this was my first article and yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's really exciting. Um, you know, it's really great company and some really, I mean, Dr. Mark Hyman, Dr. Will Cole, like, like experts, experts that I've looked up to for years. And so to have them as 
co-contributors is just like really, I, I like what opened my eyes and I'm like, holy cow, look at this. Um, so we'll link the article and I'll be sharing it probably, you know, very soon in social media and such. And it's always helpful when you guys read them and comment and say how awesome the article is. Cause that kind of validates me as a contributor. But what Becky was saying is yes. So Basically, leptin uh, resistance is often seen in obese individuals. So leptin is a satiety hormone. And um, when we have excess body fat, leptin is produced in excess as well. And so just like with insulin resistance, we only see insulin resistance when an individual has excessive insulin, right? So it's the same kind of connection. Um, but when you go keto and you start to use fat as fuel, that actually enhances uh, leptin signaling, uh, signaling in the body. So you start to get more enhanced leptin feedback and you finally achieve satiety. And this is what makes the diet so sustainable and is very freeing for many people in the ketogenic diet where they're not dealing with hunger, right? And they're still getting the success of body fat loss, in fact, more accelerated and they're feeling satiated and they don't have to eat as much. Now, this is all awesome, and uh, leptin has other favorable impact to reduce inflammatory signals and excitatory neurotransmitter signals in the body. In fact, leptin is another mechanism that can regulate with epilepsy, um, but what I was going on to state is that if you have low percent body fat and um, you're overstressing the body with mental demands or calorie restriction or excess fasting or exercise, right? And you are using leptin as a satiety signaling to the body that the body's safe. It's going to be in higher demand if your allostatic stress demand is higher. And if you don't have the body fat to metabolize as that excess reserve, and you're maybe not eating enough fat in the diet um, or enough fat to keep up with that allostatic stress, you can get declining leptin levels or leptin depletion. Um, and that's when then you're going to start to get that anxiety, insomnia, hunger, and really start to lose the prior successful outcomes that you likely experienced with the ketogenic diet. So maybe you went keto and the first three months you got resolution in acne and your uh, hormone crampings, like your cycle crampings uh, reduced and you got less inflammatory periods, but then all of a sudden four or five months in, you start to shorten your period from a healthy 28-day cycle to a 24-day cycle, and now you're anovulatory. Got it. So it's something that can kind of burn out depending on how long you've been doing keto and, and kind of what your starting point is too. Um, let's talk about signs of low leptin, how we would know that leptin's starting to dwindle and what population is likely most in need of carb cycling or, or likely most in need of going low leptin. Yeah. So again, um, you know, leptin is produced by your small intestine, getting the signals of consumption of fat, right. As well as your body fat being metabolized. And so if we're thinking of the, the big hits are low leptin can be seen with a low fat diet, which hopefully our listeners don't have to worry about, but that's something to note. So, and that's why I think things like Weight Watchers and calorie counting doesn't work right? Because they're not optimizing their leptin. So they're maintaining that ghrelin, gremlin hormone of continued hunger and they're white knuckling their diet control. So low leptin assigned could be low, you know, low fat diet as well as low percent body fat, someone that doesn't have a lot of body fat reserves. And then on a symptom focus, we can see people that are dealing with chronic insomnia, people that are dealing with anxiety or a wiry sensation, 
people that are uh, not feeling satisfied or constantly hungry, right? That's a big feedback. You're not getting that satiation. Um, a metabolic stall can actually be due to low leptin because the HPA axis then tells the body when there's not enough leptin docking with the hypothalamus, then the hypothalamus reduces its output of thyroid releasing hormone. And then the pituitary reduces its output of thyroid stimulating hormone because it, it, if we don't get that leptin, the body reduces the lever that creates that metabolic calorie burn. So you don't necessarily have to have a low percent body fat. You might just also be at a stall. So that's something to consider as well. Um, and then back on the kind of anxiety insomnia world, we can see uh, heart palpitations that are not resolved with electrolytes. That would be something to consider. And, um, you know, thyroid decline since going keto. So again, watching your reverse T3 go up, that's a big sign of leptin being off. Um, and we can also see uh, the impact on just overall thyroid hormone reduction. And would it be worthwhile to assess leptin or if you've got, you know, a couple of these symptoms, we can kind of assume that you're a candidate for low leptin? Yeah. Yeah. I think you can do either or because I mean, the interventions are not that extreme. You know, my, my go-to intervention for low leptin is uh, maintaining a ketogenic diet, but cyclically using carbohydrates. And, you know, I think that that's a very safe intervention. It's a very cheap intervention in the sense of, I don't even recommend right off the bat a, a supplement. I mean, supplements to consider would be like my EPA DHA extra, right? Because you want to make sure you have optimized omega-3 for leptin. And then honestly, it's really sleep and then considering carb cycling and then doing that assessment of where your allostatic load is and, and what drivers of stress you have to remove because leptin is going to dock more favorably when the body feels safe. And the whole name of the game of systemic health is the body thriving in that parasympathetic regulatory function versus being upregulated in that stress response. Yes. And we can extend that well beyond leptin to the rest of our hormonal cascade and balance as well, right? Absolutely. But, you know, and, and if you want to nerd out, you can, um, you know, you can look at leptin directly in my cardiometabolic panel. So if you go to labs and consults at Ellie Miller RD, it is a tab you can drop down and cardiometabolic report is an awesome lab. I mean, I run it annually and I like to kind of see where my leptin is falling. Um, but it also looks at things like C-reactive protein, lipoprotein particle size, uh, of course, your cholesterol cascade. Uh, we're looking at things like homocysteine, which is a marker of methylation in the body. We're looking at uh, also your adiponectin, which is another good uh, metabolic marker. We're looking at your fasting insulin, your hemoglobin A1C. So it's a very thorough assessment at a great price point to look at your diabetic risk, heart disease risk, and leptin levels if you want a number. Um, and then that comes with a customized email review from Becky or myself. So we'll put a link to cardiometabolic if that's of interest, but I would likely say no need to test. Test with your tools of your changes and see how your body gives you feedback. That totally makes sense, but the panel would be a good thing for kind of a, a baseline assessment of, you know, you've been doing keto for a year, you stopped getting results. Maybe that's when you go for the more expensive um, intervention of the panel. Um, so another pull from this Mind Body Green article, um, which is pretty much uh, uh, your doctrine creates disconnect focus or um, that quote that you will always say, but it's listen to your body and tweak as needed. So how would you advise that people actually tweak their keto and, and how would they implement carb cycling? 
Yes. So, you know, car- the idea of carb cycling comes back to this concept that if leptin is too low, leptin does require a surge of glucose followed by the response of glucose, which is insulin, right? I told you in the beginning that insulin resistance and leptin resistance go hand in hand, right? And as insulin levels drop, leptin levels become optimized as far as the signaling pathways. So as insulin levels stay chronically low with a tight carb controlled diet, if that individual is starting to reduce their leptin levels and then has other drivers of leptin depletion, like these many said stressors, the theory behind carb cycling is to provide a surge of glucose followed by the insulin signaling that will tell the body that it's adequately fed and ultimately that it's safe. So leptin is insulinogenic or meaning that when insulin levels elevate a little bit as a blip on the radar, which is abnormal for someone in a ketogenic diet, that tells the body like, wait, what the what? Allie just ate. Sweet. Um, And so then the uh, glycogen stores are going to get repleted in my body with that glucose surge. Um, So we're going to get more storage form of glucose. And you kind of get a reset button on that hypothalamus in the brain with a leptin surge. So the body shifts back into this healthy regulatory function versus that, uh, you know, impact of that fight or flight mechanism of survival mode of being quote unquote unfed, even if you are eating an amply calorie supported, high fat nourishing diet. So carb cycling is to reset leptin based on a glucose followed by insulin spike to give a hormetic signal to the body that it's been fed, essentially. And the cool thing with that is when you carb cycle, this also may create an increase in satiety. In fact, as we mentioned, you know, low leptin over time is going to create hunger. So that can be a signal. If you were super satiated and all of a sudden you're struggling with maintaining on your keto diet, give yourself a carb cycle to reset so you don't have to white knuckle because chances are if it's a focused strategic carb carb cycle, you're not going to binge like you will if you're quote unquote seeing it as a cheat. Do, do you kind of agree as far as that perspective, Becky? Yeah, that totally, excuse me. I just took a big sip of water and it went down the wrong pipe. Gotcha. Um, <laughs> I tried to mute myself. So hopefully you didn't catch any of the cough, but <laughs> okay. It creates more of a um, structured approach, like you said, versus just the allowance of, oh, I'm going to go out and have pizza. Well, that's probably not the right. best choice. Right. If it's planned, you're going to get that hormetic impact and that freedom factor, you know, and it's not going to be hopefully followed by guilt and shame. And this should over time also reduce cravings. And then you should get the hormetic impact of deeper sleep, support of your thyroid, support of the adrenals. And you might get of some of those controversies of keto, uh, abundance of microbiome prebiotic fibers as you increase your carbs for that period of time. Uh, likely if you're doing it in a paleo approach of whole foods, which is my biggest recommendation, you're also enhancing your antioxidant status. You're going to get that diversity of phytocompounds and nutrient-rich foods with still, you know, moderate uh, carb intake. Um, And you're getting that metabolic flexibility that creates ultimately food freedom and hormonal support. Sure. And in that carb cycling episode back in 75, my voice is not coming back, you guys. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Like, how can I help you? (laughs) You can't. It's just like time and, you know, when it wants to work, it'll work. Um, but in that episode, we do go into the nitty gritty of 
how you would incorporate carb cycling. But I think in the article, the distinction that you made was to do it for days 19 and 20 and consider um, adding on days one to two. So um, has your take on that changed or for certain individuals, would it be more appropriate to do once a month versus twice a month? Yeah. So, you know, we're using carb cycling in a woman that is menstruating to follow the trends of low leptin or the highest times when leptin would be depleted during their, you know, shifts in their follicular stimulating and luteinizing hormone cascade of their menstrual cycle. And so, you know, we see that often women who are low leptin are also low progesterone. Um, and this is due to that pregnenolone steel that we've talked about a couple episodes back where, you know, our grandmama pregnenolone hormone diverts to from progesterone to cortisol, right? So there's that cortisol steal. And so often we see in a high-stressed individual, again, that's the person who's more susceptible to leptin decline because we use leptin as that safety valve, right? And um, we see that following our progesterone time when it's supposed to be the highest and leptin dip is about five days post ovulation. So based on when you ovulate, I'm like around day 12, 13, um, you know, that's why we're looking at doing, you know, 19 and 20 or 18 and 19. Um, but somewhere about five days post ovulation is a sweet spot that I find to be the most effective telling the body that it's safe, it's fed. And that often allows that progesterone hit that we want to get up there. Um, rather than continuing to steal uh, into cortisol. And then the first and second day of your cycle are another time when really all hormone is pretty low and then estrogen starts to pick back up preceding the peak of progesterone post-ovulation. So at days one and two, this is just kind of the start of your period where all hormone is pretty low, leptin levels are also going to be lowest. Um, And so it can be welcomed in two ways. One is, you know, you might think of indulging a little bit in a comfort food. If you're dealing with menstrual cramps, that might be a welcomed uh, way to, again, not cheat, but be like, oh, this is strategic carb cycling. This is going to help my hormones. Um, But I often, it just depends on my cycle. And I find that 19 and 20 are like absolutely non-negotiable. And that window is again, larger, like I would say between 17 and 22. And sometimes I'll use just my intuition. It's so often how I'll be like, oh, I'm craving carbs. I look at my tracker and I'm like, oh, day 18. All right, I'm carb up. I'm going to carb up tonight. Um, Or, you know, I'll be out to dinner and I'm looking at the menu and I'm like, why do I want to eat butternut squash. And I look at my tracker and I'm like, oh, day 20, I need to carb cycle. Uh, So it's a pretty intuitive process as you start to do it. And um, I recommend, you know, listening to the feedback of your body. And then if you're using like the daisy tracker, which we'll link in today's notes as well, the daisy tracker is going to tell you more accurately when you're actually ovulating. So if you're dealing with infertility or known hormone imbalance, you might want to be really strategic to that five days. Um, otherwise, somewhere post-ovulation is going to be supportive of that that safety reset valve. Awesome. So <clears throat> could be both or one or the other. I always remember on days one to two because it's like, oh, my period's here. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. You can't deny that. Yeah. I don't always catch the nuance of 19 to 20, but if I don't carb cycle on those days, which I didn't my last cycle, it came at day 26 and then Allie and I were together and my cycle kicked off her cycle. <laughs> so yeah, watch out. I have to universe. carb cycle for you actually, Allie, to support yeah, your I think we um, need to 
period. <laughs> yes, exactly. Oh my gosh, it's so funny. Uh, yeah, so I am pretty non-negotiable about the post-ovulation time, to be clear. And then one and two are kind of optional. And I would say I carb cycle on days one and two – uh, maybe at like a 60% rate. And then I'm try to be a hundred percent on the 19 and 20. Okay, cool. And what would a, a typical carb cycle for you look like these days? Just what's one of your favorites that you've done recently? Yeah. So it's going to be always recommended to have those carbs in the evening, right? Um, so I'll start to kind of increase like berries midday. Then I'll bring in some form of a starchy vegetable, uh, like roasted sweet potato is the go-to. Costella eats sweet potato regularly. So we kind of have that on hand. Or I might even do like Yukon Golds or purple potatoes with the everything but the bagel seasoning. That's a go-to. Yeah. And yeah, <laughs> I do really well with with starch, starchy vegetables. And then um, I'll often do dates, whether I stuff them with goat cheese and a drizzle of honey and pistachios on top, or if I'm feeling fancy and I want to wrap them in, in bacon. And then I might even do a little bit of like fruit as a dessert cooked in like peaches sauteed in coconut oil with a heavy whipping cream and a drizzle of honey. Um, or if I'm really feeling indulgent and I'm like at picnic, I might do their butter blondie, which is like this paleo treat, which is amazing. Um, kind of just depends, but pretty much a starchy vegetable, a fruit and some form of a sweetener to get me up to about 60 grams of day, 60 grams of carbs, excuse me, uh, added onto my day. 45 to 60 grams is generally a minimum to really get that dynamic shift. Otherwise you're just tweaking your metabolic flexibility. And again, the focus of a carb cycle is to get a increase in your glucose and insulin and leptin. Okay. Awesome. And just to round things out, I'm going to ask a question that we had submitted by one of our um, keto program participants about carb cycling going a little bit haywire or gone wrong. Um, so this person said, on Sunday, I kind of carved up or just kind of for me, I had 32 grams of carbs. So that's not really a carb cycle in the sense of uh, that Allie's speaking to it. But since Right. Then, I'd call that yeah, metabolic flexibility. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, since then, I'm having joint swelling in my hands and some joint aches again. I've maintained 20 or so grams of carbs a day since I started, and I've taken a whole bunch of aforementioned supplements. I won't read that part. Is this typical? My weight loss has slowed down significantly too, only one pound in the last two weeks. So you will get fluid retention. It, it, first off, the answer is it depends on your metabolic handicap. Medical, metabolic handicap, metabolic flexibility is going to, to create whether carb cycling is good for you, right? So if you're coming from 15 years of being a type 2 diabetic that was medicated and you've just got off of your medication in the last two years, uh, carb cycling is not going to be a good idea because your body has had so many years of distress in your insulin signaling that the cost to benefit ratio is not in your favor, right? Um, now, if you're someone who, again, is more of like you transition to keto from paleo and you know, you've know you never had more than an extra 30 pounds of body fat and um, you know, you're, you're exercising and you're metabolizing your utilization of glucose on a tissue level, you likely would be a good candidate and you likely aren't coming in with a high handicap, if you will, of your metabolism. So we need to take that into account. No, I don't know this individual's backstory in that sense, but uh, fluid retention can be seen. Um, I don't know about joint swelling per se. I would probably chuck that up to what food did you have? And you likely are having an inflammatory food reaction to that ingredient. 
um, or, you know, that approach of eating. Um, so maybe you have fructose malabsorption and you ate fruit. Maybe you need to try uh, looking at your carb intake by expanding starchy vegetables. Or maybe you had the potatoes, like I mentioned, and solanine, which is a chemical in your nightshades, is a big inflammatory driver for your joint pain. And that can be commonly seen. So don't try the starchy vegetable potato and make sure you do try fruit instead. Um, so there's very individualized approaches, but you know, the word carbohydrate has the word hydrate in it. So, you know, you're going to get for each gram of carb, four grams of glyc, four grams of water attached to the carbohydrate intake. And, um, you know, you're going to see a dynamic shift on the scale fluid wise, but that should ring out and often rings out more net negative where you see a whooshing effect because of that lipolysis where that water can break stubborn body fat and set that safety reset to your metabolism so it's more efficient at burning fat as fuel. So I generally see favorable metabolic uh, output, but the two things to look into if you had a bad experience are you know, was it an inflammatory reaction to that tested food or that carb upped food? And B, do you have significant insulin resistance and still some metabolic dysfunction from your history where maybe carb ups wouldn't be appropriate? Yeah, that totally makes sense. And to be clear, again, this individual wasn't going for the carb cycle in terms of the leptin reset. They just went a little higher than normal. Um, so if carb cycling generally goes wrong, we often recommend, um, you know, using a different type of food or not going for, you know, a gluten-free cookie or something that had you eating the whole entire sleeve of cookies as a, yes. a carb cycle. Generally, we recommend trying a different group of food the next time, like sweet potato or berries or something with more known benefit. Yes. And if, if it created a emotional binge, think about the behavior chain that led you there. You know, were you eating with friends? Were you eating alone? Was it something you bought and then ate in your car very quickly? You know, what was the relationship with the eating experience? Was it a mindful indulgence and taken as a piece of your wellness journey or was it a deviant behavior? Because generally speaking, if you treat it as a deviant behavior, you're not going to get good metabolic outcomes or results. Um, I just want to round out because I know this is a question that we've addressed before, but because we're talking carb cycling and then we'll wrap things up, uh, you know, what about a woman that's not menstruating? Sure. So, you know, we've answered this in a couple different episodes and we talk about this a lot in my 12 week virtual food as medicine ketosis class, but any of those prior symptoms that I mentioned of low leptin. So hunger alone could be a reason to carb cycle. You know, a stall with your weight loss could be a reason to carb cycle. Uh, insomnia could be a reason, anxiety or like other signals of epinephrine, like panic, like uh, body temperature dysregulation, heart palpitations. All of these could be reasons to try it. And then again, there's no right or wrong answer. It's just a test and effect type of thing. You, you, you modulate or change, you observe your outcomes, and then you continue with your path. Generally speaking, following a carb up, I recommend doing a tighter fast that following morning because you're going to wake up satiated. You're not going to have natural hunger. So that might be a time where if you're typically doing a 16-8 fat fast and adding collagen to your coffee or maybe just doing the pure fat, you might do 
green tea or black coffee that morning until you're actually organically hungry versus getting back into that doctrine of this is the rules in which I operate my body. (laughs) So it's always important to be dynamic and, you know, use food as a part of you exploring how your body responds to it and be open in the process. And if you want to dig deeper, my highest recommendation would be to join our virtual program. And that's where we really help to unpack it and really hold your hand throughout the process. So I hope today's episode was helpful. If you learned something new and you're enjoying what I'm putting out, be sure to go on over to iTunes, leave me a five-star review, and maybe a sentence or two of what you love about the Naturally Nourished podcast. Stay involved in the conversation. Uh, share listening to this you know, on your social feed with your friends and family, and um, continue to stay involved with all things over at AllieMillerRD.com. Thank you for listening to the Naturally Nourished Podcast. Visit our blog at AllieMillerRD.com for recipes, wellness tips, and food as medicine meal plans. Connect with Allie and Becky at AllieMillerRD on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, stay nourished and be well.